There's a new and better way to interact with podcasts. The Clever Podcast app allows you to bookmark, highlight your favorite quotes, and buy recommended products all in one place. You can listen to any public podcast, but we'll have exclusive Haas podcast content only available in our Clever app. So sign up for Clever today at clever.fm and do more than listen. Welcome to the Here at Haas podcast. Today, we're joined by Claudia Natasha, Director of Research and Analytics at Five Stars, founder of Jumpstart UXR, a published author, Evening Weekend Student Class of 23, co-president of Berkeley Female Founders Plus Funders, and last but not least, as if that wasn't enough, a double bear. Go Bears and welcome to the podcast. Go Bears. Thanks so much for having me, Sean. So Claudia, tell us about your origin story, where you're from and what you did before Haas. Wow. So I'm originally from Jakarta, Indonesia. I grew up basically on the outskirts of Jakarta. I decided to go to college somewhere in the United States, and I didn't realize I'd go to Berkeley. My dad actually walked into my room when I was applying to a bunch of colleges and said, please apply to Berkeley because it's his dream school. Yeah. And so I did, my heart was set on going to a separate school, actually it was Princeton in the East Coast, but then the <laughs> Berkeley admissions letter came in and I just decided to go here out of the blue. I had to Google airport closest to Berkeley. I did not know it was in San Francisco and packed my bags and moved here. Thought I would leave right after. Yeah, But then really got a great job in consulting for a bit. And since then, I've just been here and really loving the Bay Area and all of the potential that the Bay Area has for us. What did you study for your undergrad? I studied psychology and also a make-your-own major, behavioral <laughs> economics, which was a cross-interdisciplinary study between Haas and the economics department. So I was a double major with both of those emphasis. What made you pick those things? Yeah. So originally I was an economics and a psychology major, but I realized that back then I wanted to do something that was not offered at Berkeley. And that has always been me as a person. I always tend to question what's existing and try to carve paths that are different to make sure that me and anyone else around me aren't just limited to what's already given. Yeah. So I, I knew that I was interested in the intersection between behavior, data science, and business. Now we know that that is user experience research or data science. Now there's actually an, a proper industry for that. But back then, that did not exist. So I made my own curriculum, combined different courses to really just build that so I can get a better understanding of that and hopefully find a job that's kind of related to that after, which now exists in the industry. But back then, I was just hoping to find something. I knew that there was a need for that, and I was hoping to carve an opportunity for myself. I love it. So one of my favorite books from Michael Lewis, The Undoing Project, is about Daniel Kahneman. And I just loved hearing the origins of how they, in some ways, came up with behavioral economics. And it just blows my mind. I'm like, how do these people think about these things? Like, how did they come up with a hypothesis around, let's say, hindsight bias or whatever bias it was, and then test these things? It's so obvious to us now. But before that concept, right, what made people, you know, think about these behavioral things? And it actually made me a lot more interested in economics as a whole. 
Yeah, I agree. I think that's the interesting thing about this field in general and the field of research and analytics and how it could really be important for the founder's journey. We never really know what we want to measure. We don't know what we want to understand. If we know what we want to understand, we're only validating the known knowns in the world. I'm more interested in the unknown unknowns, and that's why I've always been drawn to research, to figuring out what we don't know and how we can get there to actually uncover these new opportunities and create new companies from these new opportunities that would make the world a better place, not just iterate from existing ideas. That's why I've always just been drawn to the world of research and the world of entrepreneurship, especially impactful entrepreneurship. I'd also like to call out if Professor Leif Nelson is listening to this podcast. Professor Leif Nelson is a market research professor at Haas in the marketing department. So him and Mina Jung, who is now a associate professor at New York University, were my mentors as an undergrad and really made me fall in love with the world of behavioral economics and research. And really, my career ever since then is because of these two amazing mentors that I've had. That's great. So what brought you to Haas? What brought you to the MBA? MBA is always something that I wanted to pursue. And I can't think of any other place to do it aside from Haas. I thought about why exactly I wanted to do an MBA. And I realized that it's not so much the classes, but it's the people that I hope to meet and I have actually met throughout this journey. I wanted to be able to meet a community of women that can empower each other and empower the next generation of founders and investors. And I realized I can't do it alone. I tried so many times to start an organization like the Berkeley Female Founders Funders, but until I met all of the women that I work with at Berkeley Female and Founders, I realized that the community of Haas is just so powerful for propelling these type of entrepreneurship ideas and just really supporting us throughout the way and connecting us to a community of like-minded people that can really help us throughout this process, which is not something that you can do outside. Yeah. What made you interested in entrepreneurship? My parents are entrepreneurs. They built and scaled a few businesses throughout Asia. And I actually grew up following my mom around Hong Kong, Thailand. She would pull me out of school, make sure that I still do my homework in the hotel room, but take me to her meetings with her clients. I grew up basically eating lunch at the Citibank cafe in the lobby while my mom <laughs> closes deals in the 27th floor. And I've always just been inspired by my mom and her journey. And I realized that she had a lot of people helping her along the way. And she had all of those resources for her. And I want to be able to share that experience. I feel very grateful to be able to expose that world. And I want to be able to help other women get access to all of the resources that my mom had and all of the skills that my mom had also as a successful entrepreneur. I'm curious to hear, because you're so multicultural, multinational, if you've observed any differences between, or any gaps between female founders here in the United States versus in Asia. So I can't imagine it was that easy for your mom, right? That's a really great question. I don't want to speak on behalf of all female founders since all of our experience is probably a little bit different, but I do think that female founders in Asia or just founders in Asia in general 
are more willing to use their connections to build initial relationships to be able to get their startup going and to gain that initial traction phase. I do think that in the United States, at least with the startups that I've talked to or advised, we tend to be very closed and almost in stealth mode for a long period of time. When really, for those initial few months, few years, you should also start building relationships. And that relationship can be done still in self-mode. It's just if you really conceal yourself at the beginning, you're not exposing yourself to enough opportunities to continue to gain feedback about what you're working on. And those early stage feedback is extremely crucial. That's very interesting that you bring that up. If I were to think about some of the cultural differences the Western culture is very well known for individualism and Eastern culture is known more for collectivism. And I just wonder, you started making me think about how that plays into some of our habits and some of the ways we go about doing entrepreneurship even. And you would be much more protective if you did have this individualistic mindset versus this collective mindset. So that's actually a very interesting point. (laughs) I remember reading this book from, I noticed you did some studies at University of Michigan as well, from this University of Michigan professor called The Geography of Thought. And it was talking about the the differences between Eastern and Western thought. I don't know if you've ever seen the book before. Yeah, I have. It's very interesting. So yeah, tell us a little bit about your experiences at Haas so far and what it's been like working full-time and going to school. I never noticed that school and work are separate entities, actually. The curriculum at Haas is designed in a way for any part-time student that it directly applies with what you're working at at work. There are many, many times in the past year where I would be working on a problem to, let's say, predict how a product would lead to future revenue growth at Five Stars. And I'm collaborating with a different team at Five Stars to do that. And I realized that there's so many things that I learned from class that made me a better cross-functional collaborator because it supplied me with the language and just enough knowledge to be able to have these productive discussions with cross-functional partners. So that's the benefit of really being a part-time student at the Haas School of Business. The program is truly designed in a way that it's beneficial as you grow in tangent in your career. Tell us a little bit more about BFFF and how you got involved with Berkeley Female Founders plus Funders. Berkeley Female Founders and Funders is an organization that was started by Anjani. So hi, Anjani, if you're listening to this. The main purpose of Berkeley Female Founders plus Funders is to be a platform that connects founders and funders in a way that is beneficial towards their growth. Being a female leader in tech, I realize that it can be an extremely lonely experience, let alone if you're a female founder or a female investor trying to look for an exciting startup with maybe not the same amount of resources at your disposal as someone else. Right. I realized this need from my own experience in tech, and I realized that I wanted to make a difference. And like I mentioned earlier, this was something that I wanted to do even outside of Haas. I was on Slack randomly and I saw Anjani, full-time MBA student, class of 2021, reach out about this amazing opportunity. She created this organization, BFFF. Really, the main goal was to plan a summit to connect Berkeley female founders and funders together and learn from founders and funders in the industry. And I realized that I want to be part of this initiative. 
And I was particularly excited with being able to help female founders and funders at Berkeley navigate through this exciting yet challenging world of entrepreneurship. Nice. That's wonderful. You know, I'm really curious to hear, and I don't know if you've talked to Anjani about this, you know, why Anjani started this. I mean, maybe we should ask her about it, but I'd love to hear what are some of the challenges that female founders and funders face in today's world still? There are a few different challenges, but really the key challenges that female founders and funders face falls under two pillars. One, as a founder, it's really hard to be able to identify resources to help your startup succeed. And that resources can come in many different ways, right? It's not just connecting to the right investors. It's developing the right skills to make sure that you're able to pitch your startup the right way. It's finding subject matter experts to help consult you throughout the journey, finding someone to help you with analytics, finding someone to help you better understand financial models. And these resources aren't as readily available to minorities, not just women, but minority founders. And the goal of BFFF is to bridge women to be able to find these resources easily. And the second pillar is as a funder, it's also really hard to break into the funder or investor space. Often the venture capital space in the Bay Area especially is very closed off and it shouldn't be that way. So the goal of BFFF is also to connect those who are interested in a career in VC, private equity, to all of these opportunities in the Bay Area. And hopefully down the line, once we have enough women founders and women funders, strength in numbers, right? You build this huge community and things will eventually change where with the relationship that develops from these communities that you build, we can strengthen the presence of women in the entrepreneurial space and build a more gender equal entrepreneurial ecosystem. I really love that you guys have both the founders plus the funders, because I think when people look at entrepreneurship, when institutions look at entrepreneurship like Berkeley, too often, I feel like they isolate entrepreneurship by itself. When Funders and founders, there are two sides of the same coin, right? You need both sides. Part of the reason I feel like entrepreneurship is successful at some other schools, not going to name what, (laughs) is because the funding side is just so strong. Whereas this is something I'm so glad you guys are tackling this, is we need to make sure that we are connecting the alumni base. We are connecting our network, our immense, valuable network to really come back to the school to support entrepreneurship and support innovation and support more than anything, you know, female and minority founders. Exactly. And this relates to the whole ethos that I really based my life on and my life's purpose. If I see a problem, I want to fix it. And I want to fix it in a way that's not just how everyone else is fixing it. So that's why BFFF really did resonate with me. We have to connect founders and funders directly, and we have to do it in these unique ways, and we have to figure out a better way to do it. And it's not just tapping into the Haas alumni network, which is amazing, but it's also encouraging alumni and fellow students to expand beyond the Haas network. Our network isn't just the people we meet at Haas. Our network is the people we meet at Haas and the other people that these people meet throughout their careers. Mm. And I'd love to be able to tap even further and propel the Berkeley community to gain more visibility outside of just our own network. 
So one of the challenges of being MBA students and starting these organizations is that inevitably we will leave, right? <laughs> we will graduate. Just like when I started the original One Haas podcast, I knew I was going to graduate one day. What are you guys doing and how are you guys planning to continue the BFFF legacy once you guys have graduated? I hope that the work we're doing, the summits, the talks, the happy hours, mixers that we are hosting will help encourage new students, current students to be part of this community. And in these events, we are very, very clear with the intention behind BFFF and how this is a truly unique opportunity as a woman and also as allies to be part of this amazing community of founders and funders. And I hope that this will inspire new students to be part of this initiative and to continue to develop the legacy of BFFF further. I'd also encourage current BFFF members to be part of this community and to give back because Haas has given so much to us and continues to give a lot to me personally as a student even that I don't see myself completely leaving BFFF even if I move on from Haas. That's great. That is a spirit. <laughs> yeah. Some of my team members joke, it's like, we can't get rid of Sean. <laughs> yeah, like, you'll, you'll be here forever. He's always going to be podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good segue into the events that you guys are putting on. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about the summit coming up? Sure. On May 3 to May 7, we have a four-day summit. The title of the summit is really Women Who Launched, Building the Toolkit for a Gender Equal Entrepreneurial System. We were very intentional with how we curated the summit because we realized that although inspirational speakers are amazing and leave us thinking about how we want to approach things or think about things differently, we want to make sure that at the end of this academic year, women founders and funders and allies come out of the year with actionable tips from founders and funders in the industry on how to make their startups successful. Day one of the summit will be a conversation with product leads from my company, Five Stars, on what it means to build a product MVP that's successful. Day two of the summit will be a conversation between a founder and her funder on the data that matters for a investor pitch. Day three will be a workshop on how to create the perfect pitch that's guided by a VC. And finally, day four will be a conversation on how to create your first sales and revenue engine to make sure that your startup is able to scale and gain traction even beyond early stages. And this is extremely crucial for founders to know because we tend to be so bogged down to just making sure early stage works that we often forget to think about how we want to scale. And conversations and knowledge of how to scale is really key and could set your pitch apart from other pitches when you're fundraising at that early stage. Got it. Well, that sounds like a packed summit. <laughs> yeah. And I really hope that everyone could join. We will reach out on the BFFF Instagram page and on several newsletters. I really do hope that women founders, funders, and allies in the community can join us in the summit. It'll be a very exciting and informative, packed week. So in order to join, look down at the description and make sure that you click on the links and sign up for all of the sessions. We encourage that you join every single session because it really does add on top of each other. 
to help you build that toolkit. So I hope I get to see you there. Awesome. I think this is a really important initiative because one of the things that always come up, especially in our DEI conversations, is that we need the representation. Without the representation, we're building incomplete products. We're building incomplete solutions because we're not building solutions that are inclusive of all of the customers. It's like a bunch of guys building feminine products. Like, what do we know, right? (laughs) And running these companies. And so this is absolutely critical to improve awareness. To me, it's like, I think of all rays. I love this name better, actually, BFFF. Yeah. (laughs) But I'm really, really glad that you guys are doing what you guys are doing here at Berkeley and spending all this time and putting on this summit. I know it's a lot of work, so kudos to you guys for doing all this on top of everything else that's going on. Thank you. And I'd also like to emphasize that making sure that products are accessible is not just in the hands of the founders and funders. That's why I'm particularly passionate about my job also as director of research and analytics, because ultimately the purpose behind a research and analytics team, the core purpose is to make sure that users have a seat at the table especially underrepresented voices. That's the whole foundation of user experience research, right? You want to make sure that the people deciding on the products that humans will use aren't just the people in the conference room. It's actually bringing these voices from the community into the conference room to make sure that we're designing products that actually matter, that actually help build communities. Absolutely. That's very important. Let's talk a little bit about five stars. Your work there, you know, it's a Berkeley-founded company. Go Bears, again. Go Bears. (laughs) And being a female leader in the tech space, can you talk a little bit about your experience and Five Stars? I currently lead research and analytics at Five Stars, and we are a YC100 company. It's been an amazing journey with Five Stars. And one thing that I love most about Five Stars and a lesson that I'll take if I eventually either start my own company or advise other companies in the future, is that community is extremely important. The Five Stars community is truly what keeps Five Stars employees at Five Stars. We're an extremely encouraging community. All voices are heard and represented. And as a female leader in the organization, I always feel like my voices and my opinions are heard. And when organizations accept voices from all types of backgrounds, that's when you truly get things done. And I feel like that's what makes companies like Five Stars successful. We're able to get things done because we have the empathy and the intention to make sure that all voices are represented and heard. Tell us a little bit more about this community angle with Five Stars, why that's so important to a success. We talk a lot about psychological safety and creating a safe space for everyone to be able to speak their own opinions. But it's not just about psychological safety, right? It's not just about saying that this is a safe space for everyone to talk about your opinions. It's also about the processes that organizations have in place to ensure that people have the ability to share their opinions. It's to prevent retaliation, to have policies that stop those type of retaliation from happening. It's teaching managers to have the soft skills to be able to notice when someone who might be more introverted hasn't contributed to a meeting, but has something that they could contribute. And that's the type of environment that I try to build at Five Stars as a leader. And I think that's crucial to be able to develop those skills 
to empower your team even further and notice that people come from different backgrounds. People have different ways of communicating and all of those opinions are valuable and can contribute to the overall company objective. There isn't one way to go IPO. There isn't one way to build a company that sells. There's multiple ways and we just need to be open to listening and incorporating all of those ways into one map for the entire journey. Yeah, that's exciting. That is cool. I, I can't wait to see what you'll build next or what you'll be a part of next. What are some interesting content books or Netflix shows that you're consuming lately? Wow, Netflix shows. <laughs> My husband judges me all the time for just watching repetitive shows. I used to watch Friends <laughs> in the background as I run a SQL query. <laughs> That's my wife, literally. Yeah. yeah. Friends, nonstop. Now I'm obsessed with Terrace House and Schitt's Creek. And I think the reason behind that is it's not just pure entertainment. I love being able to listen to people talk. So I love shows that are more conversational or movies that are filled with conversations. Maybe it's the author in me or the researcher in me that just wants to really understand what's behind a conversation and intentions behind conversations and how people talk. That's why I'm drawn to those type of shows. Before we leave, we have to hear a little bit about your authorship, being a published author. Can you share a little bit about that? I published my first book during my senior year of high school, and it's a young adult fiction novel about a young girl who was adopted from China with a scar across her face from child abuse and how she had to live with that as she grew up in the United States and learned to accept love from her new community. What's more important about the book, though, I've always loved writing, but ultimately what's more important about it is it fulfilled my dream of also helping build schools in remote areas of Indonesia. So I decided to donate 100% of the proceeds from my book to build a library and a school in Ambon, in the Maluku Island of Indonesia. And as a result of that, I started an organization called the Just Like Butterflies Organization. Currently, all proceeds from my book, which is on sale on Amazon, is still going to help build that school. And when my book was also selected to represent Indonesia at the World Book Fair in Germany, wow. we did a second reprint of the book and it is still continuing to help build that school. I'm now actively working on a second book. It's not a sequel to my first book. My second book will be about grief, since I feel like a lot of feelings that we've been experiencing lately is related to grief. And I just hope to bring our community closer through the words that I write. And I will continue to also support Just Like Butterflies organization with this new book. That's amazing. I don't know how you have... There are only 24 hours in a day. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing differently than me? <laughs> I have to ask just a little bit more on that. Where do you draw inspiration for your books? I'm a listener. I listen to conversations that go on in cafes when I'm drinking coffee. I listen to conversations, even like as head of research, conversations that I have with my users, how people talk. I listen to conversations that characters in shows have, or even conversations that I read about in the books that I read. And I analyze these conversations. And because of that, I'm able to truly understand what matters to people. Lately, when I'm going out to get groceries or picking up dinner somewhere, there's a lot of conversations that's going on about the fears that we have as a community, especially among the AAPI community with rising violence. And this fear relates to so many powerful emotions, primarily grief. 
Right. Because of that, I feel like I want to be able to provide a channel for others to understand just how powerful these emotions are. And that's why I'm drawn to words. That's very true. I've always wanted to write. It's in my, you know, life goals list that I have right in front of me. It's just, you know, to publish a book someday. And I definitely resonate with that. I think I can relate with you in the sense that I'm very interested in the human condition and just really deeply understanding people and their motivations. And especially during these difficult times, trying to see beyond just the violence, but also what's causing it. What is the underlying motivation? Yeah. Because I, I truly believe people are good at our core. Yeah, I truly believe that as well. And we need more of that, especially in the entrepreneurship space. I always say this whenever I do presentations or panels in data science and research. The organizations that are successful are the ones that really understand the human experience. Understanding user experience and truly developing empathy with your users isn't just a matter of design research. It's truly a strategic advantage that you can have. If you can connect with your users on a very human basis and be alongside them, be their partner in their life journey, that will make whatever you find, whatever product you create, extremely powerful. Absolutely. Well, it's been a real pleasure having you on the podcast today, Claudia. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We'll definitely make sure to have all the links to BFFF in the description. So definitely go down and click on it, everyone. Yeah. And make sure you attend the summit next week. Thanks, Claudia. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Here at Haas podcast. If you enjoyed our show today, please remember to hit that subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast player. And we'd really appreciate it if you also gave us a five-star rating and review. You can also check out more of our content on our website at haaspodcast.org. We can subscribe to our monthly newsletter and check out some of our other Berkeley Haas podcasts. Until next time, go Bears!